Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Look, the NBA, the NHL, the playoffs, they are in full swing, and the MLB is coming up to the stretch run. So our partners at betonline.ag have you covered. So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there is always that online casino. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Welcome to the pod, everyone. Today we are talking hoops. Round two is already in full swing. We had some game sevens over the last couple of days that we're going to hit off the top. And then we're going to preview some of the game one round twos are going to be starting. So bringing back the hoops honchos. First coming up. They say he's known for his offense, but really he's known for his last second blocks on defense. It's Aaron Hagel. What's up, Hags? Hi, Joey. Hello, buddy. Welcome back to the pod. And coming back as well, in crunch time, he can hit those free throws. No matter how bad the referees are calling it, you know that he's going to hit the shot when it matters. Mike Joy. Joey, what is going on? My Portland pick. Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> We brought you back to lick your wounds. It's all right. We're not thinking about that. We're moving on. I also had the Oklahoma City Thunder maybe making a, a round one upset. Did not happen last night, and I want to start right there. Let's just begin with the easy topic that probably everyone's going to talk about. The Rockets and defense together for the first <laughs> time ever. Hags, want to hop into you first. First of all, let's just talk about how exciting the end of that game was and how surprised you were at the manner in which Houston had to go about winning that game. That was crazy, man. That's like, yeah, one of the craziest endings I've seen in a while. And, you know, James Harden's always knocked for not being a good defender. I'm one of those people who knock him for not being a good defender and had one of the biggest defensive plays I've seen in a long time. I mean – that was a clean block. And that, you know, on those kinds of shots, it's close a lot of times. The refs, uh, more often than not, will give the benefit of the doubt to the shooter for getting fouled. So it's a pretty ballsy play to even try to go for the block, but he did. It was clean. And, uh, you know, he let out that roar afterwards, and I was actually pumped for him. That was a huge play for him. And roll back just a little bit further, Choi. You know, 17 seconds to go. CP3's got the ball, and you're like, okay, he's going to hold out for the last shot. He's going to drive. He's going to probably just step back and at the elbow shoot that jumper. But even on that previously, he tried to make that kickout pass. And Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook, excuse me, tipped it and then got the ball back. And then all of a sudden, that offensive play completely broke down, swung it back around to Dort, uh, who had 30 in the game. Of all the guys probably on the Thunder to have the ball in his hands, it probably was our boy Dort. And James Harden came up with the play. I mean, Choi, in terms of things that were unexpected, that's got to rank right up there. Well, I mean, there were so many unexpected things that happened in like literally what, like the last seven seconds of that game. It lasted I mean, forever too. <laughs> it, it did. It did. I mean, you know, that, that amazing dodge of between the legs that like Harden had to do to get out of the way potentially of having it reflect, deflect out of bounds. Ultimately it didn't matter because Dort was out of bounds. So it wouldn't have mattered if it hit harder or not, but I thought it was actually kind of crazy that, um, you know, they put Gallinari to the line for that foul. Right. And ultimately that one free throw, probably didn't even though we missed it didn't affect the end of the game because they still would have needed a bucket either way but I thought you know speaking to your Chris Paul uh thing I thought it was crazy that you know in that situation Chris Paul wasn't 
on the line to shoot that free throw. I know Gallinari, had, it was something crazy, right? He hit like 53 straight free throws um, prior to that. I, and again, but you know what? Screw Saber metrics, man. You know, like in a situation like that, you put in your best player's hands, it should have been Chris Paul shooting that. And who knows what would have happened with that last second play. But also, you know, I know they kind of mentioned on the telecast too, but Steve Adams, man, if, you know, SGA would have saw him on that path just before that foul of Gallinari, that's an easy bucket if he just throws that lob pass. So, I mean, there were so many little things that happened that could have really affected that game either way, literally in the last 10 seconds. Higgs, hop back in. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't really like that play that Billy Donovan drew up for the, the last second play. I forgot who it was, but there was somebody way across the court, and I'm thinking, the second half to go, how are you supposed to throw the ball to that guy? There's yeah. a guy who would pick it off easily. CP3, they didn't set a good screen. Like, he, he should have been wide open, at least kind of open, and he couldn't pass him because he was covered. And it was just like – Stephen Adams was coming to him. You know, I think he panicked and passed it to him, which was like the dumbest pass you could possibly do. So he's not going to be able to do anything with the ball yeah, there. But exactly. I really wonder what the play that Billy Donovan drew up because it was either not executed right or it just wasn't the right play. I just thought it was pretty bad. Really interesting, too. A series of woulda, coulda, shouldas. And obviously you've got the CP3 playoff legacy versus the James Harden playoff legacy going into this. And in this game seven – in theory, CP3 played a better all-around game, had that triple-double. I believe he was one of the oldest basketball players to ever have a triple-double in a Game 7 situation. And James Harden shoots four for 15. So if you're a sports writer, automatically you're writing the lead paragraph being like, James Harden blows it again. And in the end, man, Chris Paul like just almost felt like he was unhinged at times. Like He was playing such a great game, controlling the offense, and then those final few possessions, not only was he just – Barking up the refs, yeah, they had to go through that whole off-ball situation of him, you know, deciding whether it was a timeout or whether it was that off-ball foul. They did get it. They get the free throw. He didn't end up taking the free throw, Higgs, which I think is a really interesting point. You know, at that point, I don't care if you've made 4,000 free throws exactly. in a row. That's kind of CP3's free throw right there. And then in those final possessions, you saw him really turn on the engine, try and, you know, create something for himself, but almost felt like he did too much at times. And James Harden. Man, escaping another dud, honestly, a dud game from one of what we consider the greatest modern, one of the greatest modern offensive players going in the game today. Shoots a four for 15, only scores 17 points. We're going to talk about the block, but Hags, I mean, again, James Harden's offense, he didn't play a great game seven. It was not a good performance from him. No, it wasn't, but, you know, he's a, he's a superstar and he, and he showed up when he needed to. With that block, I are, you talking about, that. are you talking about Robert Covington or are you talking about James Harden? Because that's superstar, <laughs> Robert Covington. Man, dude, he was draining some threes. I love Roko, man. I've, I've, I've drafted him in our, our fantasy leagues the past couple of years because he's the kind of guy that does a little bit of everything. Um, you know, he'll get like 12 points, five boards, five assists, a steal, a block, a three. Uh, but he's been stepping up and playing really well. D'Antoni's – you know, experiment with going small ball has worked so far. We'll see how it works against Lakers, which we'll get to in a second. But you're talking about CP3 down the stretch. Like, that guy's so good. And he choked, man. There was that play, I don't know, maybe 15 seconds ago or whatever it was. I don't remember if they were down by one or whatever. But he had a puppy near the rim. I mean, he was very close. He shot it. Nobody was near him. And it was short. And if he makes that, 
thunder are up and now you got the rockets on your heels and you, and you missed it. And I was very surprised. And you were talking about that last second, last play too, where, you know, he's trying to create, he's trying to do something. He threw the ball out. Westbrook almost stole it. And it was just very uncharacteristic CP3 um, for those that last like 20 seconds. Joy, my question for you then is, you know, the thunder are eliminated. And maybe let's take a step back and look for a second and say, you know, a lot of people didn't think the Thunder were going to go very far. A lot of people didn't think Chris Paul was going to finish the season on the Thunder in general. And it sort of all kind of came together and he was able to galvanize the team. And, and honestly, they, they played a really hard fought first round series, but I mean, in your opinion, does this continue to tarnish a little bit of that CP three legacy of just, he can't get it right in the playoffs. Something always goes wrong. It wasn't the injury of the hamstring this time. It was actually the play on the court. You know, in my opinion, I mean, yeah, ultimately, you know, in, in hindsight, we're all going to look back at this and see, yeah, another playoff let down by Chris Paul. But, I mean, look at that roster. I mean, when you're relying on the likes of, like, Dort to have a big game, when you're relying on the likes of, like, you know, uh, SGA, I mean, who I think is an ascending player, but by no means is, like, a number two on any other legitimate uh, playoff team. I mean, a guy who, again, like, as you were kind of alluding to, I think we had kind of had this vision of Chris Paul being kind of washed up to some regards, right? So he kind of had like a, a you know, a regeneration in the bubble. So, I mean, I, I can't fault the guy. And, you know, this is the thing, too, is like, like, it was kind of the same thing with LeBron those few years, like, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Like, you know, if he would have taken the shot and miss, it's like, oh, man, he should have, like, distributed the ball better or you know or no 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 he passed the ball why is he passing the ball he doesn't want that last second shot he can't but you know I think his resume has proven that he is you know I mean he's a hall of famer so to me the fact that they got that far was because of Chris Paul you look at that roster any other you know who else would have pushed them to this level to force a game seven with the Rockets who are a good team you know they're going you know a little bit of ups and downs here and there but they are have for the last what two or three years been a contending team you can't say that about the Thunder since you know Durant and the Westbrooks have left so I think yeah I mean I think Chris Paul's the reason that they were even at this point that's a great point and that's the double-edged sword right is he brought them that far and failed maybe in those final moments but let's just be real you know if James Harden and Russell Westbrook and the Rockets got kicked out in the first round, this would be a more catastrophic, disastrous yeah. situation that we'd be talking about. People would be fired. People would be getting traded. And trust me, James Harden in the second round now against the Lakers, he still has plenty more time to add some more duds, perhaps, to, the, uh, to his playoff ledger if he so chooses. I do want to get to that in a second, but I also want to get to the game that went on yesterday. Higgs, we're going to go to you first on this one. A lot to unpack. We're going to begin with just the final moments of the game and then talk about the series as a whole. But the Miami Heat take a 2-0 series lead and with free throws with time expired, something that you're rarely ever going to see in a playoff game, let alone an NBA playoff game. Higgs, just your reaction to those final few moments, a lot of calls uh, that are being questioned today and just how, how you felt about how that fourth quarter played out for, for both sides. I felt like the last two minutes took over 30 minutes. It was insane, man. Um, well, the first thing I guess I would say is that foul, uh, the foul that Dragic had on Middleton, like, that really pissed me off, man. Because, like, for me, as a former player and kind of a big man, I appreciate 
good defense. The NBA doesn't really reward good defense. So the fact that he did play good defense and they showed the replay and they're saying that, you know, his feet was underneath the landing space for Middleton. I get that. I've seen that. I remember Zaza Pachulia doing that to Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs, shattered his ankle, and that's why they put that rule in place. That's a legit rule, and they're trying to protect the shoes. I get that. But he could not have just stood his up, put his arms up as high as he could and, and just stay as straight as possible than he did. It was just such a terrible call, and the fact it was a three-point, you know, three, three point or three free throws was huge. Middleton got those. And then after that was the uh, the was that the inbounds after that the Jimmy. I'm trying to remember the no, sequence. No, that, that was prior. That was prior when uh when he got trapped and then he threw the ball toward. The yeah, back. that was another yeah. play too, right? So he oh, chucked I you were it. About that one. Okay. Yeah, well, whenever he got trapped in the corner, he chucked the ball, and Brooke Lopez got it and scored. Brooke Lopez got fouled on that. That should have been like right away. I was like, oh, that's a three point play. And they didn't call anything. I was like, dude, that's a blown call because he definitely got bumped. That should have been a three-point play. Middleton didn't get fouled. And then the very, very last play game with, with uh, uh, Jimmy Buckets in the corner and the freak going after him. Did he touch him on the side? Yeah. But Butler fell down. There was no – he didn't push him down. It's just like – it's just such a shitty way to end a game when a guy's shooting free throws with nobody on the line. I don't know, man. It just sucked. <laughs> Yeah, it follows along the cliche of that's why the refs swallow the whistle in those final moments. You want the players to actually decide the end of the game. And I'm right there with you. I mean, it's got to be really tough because that rule is in place, especially the, the Middleton Drogic play where that rule is in place for the safety of the players, but you can't necessarily punish a guy for a defender for making an offensive player feel uncomfortable when he's trying to score. That's the whole point of defense is to put is to you know kind of bring some heat on there and that's what they say you know what I mean if you're if you're standing straight up and you're you're in place you should be good to go you know Troy I want to ask you I think maybe we can dive into this conversation because this game kind of really bore it out a little bit I think this is probably the first time where I'm really starting to wonder you know not just about the Bucks for the rest of the series but if the Bucks had home court advantage and if this game was in Milwaukee do those calls happen? I, obviously, we can even get deeper and do the Bucks play this way, but I think these are the first few moments where, you know, damn it, the Bucks won a lot of basketball games this year, and now all of a sudden they're on this neutral court, not necessarily playing a neutral game, but you would think that maybe the home court advantage might have helped them out with a couple of those calls, especially on that Brooke, Brooke Lopez play. Well, potentially, but I'll, I'll also counter with this. Um, maybe being in the bubble – is the best thing that could have happened to the Bucks, unfortunately, in light of recent events that have happened in Kenosha with the shooting. They obviously would have had much more chaos going on in the Milwaukee area because of that. Um, who's to say how much that would play a part in it? But, I mean, the world is crazy. And unfortunately, right now, in these last couple of weeks, it's been located to the Milwaukee area. Um, so I can contend that maybe... You know, they've obviously been distracted. They were the team that wanted to uh, pull out from the playoffs and then ultimately, you know, uh, didn't play that first game or not the first game, but the last game prior. And so, I don't know. It's like, it's just, it's a shitty situation all the way around, right? The bubble situation, COVID situation, kind of like all these, you know, the police brutality uh, angle of things. But I'll contend too, that last foul on Giannis, I, I will say maybe psychologically, the fact that they didn't call the foul or that they did call the foul on Dragic, maybe even 
maybe led to the fact of like, I wouldn't necessarily call it a makeup call, but this idea that like, man, if we're going to call it that soft, you know, a second prior, who knows, like had that call not gone that way, that if, if Giannis would have gotten that foul on him. So, but letter of the law, I mean, it sucks. And again, it sucks that you're leaving in the hands of the refs, but letter of the law, he did touch him, whether or not you want to say that affected his shot. And then also to Hagel's point, Butler, whether, once again, whether you agree with it or not, sold it by kind of flopping. Um, and again, all that stuff adds up to just, you know, the human nature of what these refs go through, just calling, you know, calling a game. Hop in, Higgs. But, but it was the same ref, wasn't it? It was the same guy who called both of those. And I remember after the second goal, it's the same guy. What is this guy doing? Yeah, I Mark think it was. Davis. That's what I'm saying. Davis, That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, I think maybe unintentionally there was that psychology of, like, oh, shit, I just blew a call in Milwaukee's favor, you know, on that three-point play. And now it's like, oh, psychologically, like, I kind of have to good. make it up to Miami in a weird, weird way. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm just trying to figure out what's going on with the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Um, I'm, I obviously, I picked them to win the East. That's not some sort of shocker. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a genius breaking down film for hours and hours to make that distinction. But let's be honest, you know, this team looks vastly different than the team that I think we saw in the regular season. The Miami Heat are playing great basketball right now, great team basketball. Every single one of their pieces seems to be doing their job right now. That aside, though, like, the Milwaukee Bucks team of the regular season wouldn't give up 116 playoff points, in my opinion, in the second round. You know, their defense seems to be really slacking off. You know, their, their size has changed a little bit. You know, Robin Lopez was inactive, wasn't even in the game yesterday. And I'm sort of starting to ask myself this question, and that's why I was getting it with the home court advantage, where we've seen this in basketball before, where Giannis aside – there are teams that obviously just roll through the regular season and win tons of basketball games. Those are typically also the teams that are like 39 and one at home. You know, they're, they're, they're the home cooking basketball team. Everything's going good. And they're built more for the regular season for the playoffs. I'm sort of starting to ask myself the question, are the Milwaukee Bucks built as a playoff team? Are they built to go deep into the playoffs? Are they just one of those, again, great regular season teams that win a ton of games and without home court advantage, it's kind of tough for them to maybe take it the distance. Hags, hop in. Uh, historically, championship teams have two or three superstars. If you look at all the championship teams, you need at least two, at least. So besides the freak, who's the other star in their team? Chris Middleton? Chris Middleton's good. I like him. But is he a star? No. Then, then who else do you got? Like Bledsoe? He's not a star. So they have, like, good pieces around him, but, like, I don't know, man. They After the first round, I switched my prediction from them to Toronto, which isn't looking good either. We'll get to that in a moment. But, um, yeah, just watching him, you know, I, I told you guys, I love the freak. He's one of my favorite players, but I've also said Anthony Davis is, I think, better than him because the freak's not a good three-point shooter, and he's proven he's not. He's not a good free throw shooter, which he's proven he's not. He fucking choked yesterday. He missed two big free throws down the stretch. And he turns the ball over. So, I mean, on top of that, he's great. But it's – he's just – to me, if he's the MVP, right? He was the MVP last year. Um, he's supposed to be maybe MVP this year. When you're the MVP, dude, you have to dominate, absolutely dominate and crush the other team. 
I just don't see it with him, man. And, yeah. and, and dude, if, if they don't win this, wow. Talk about a realignment. You can't bring the same squad back with the same coach. You're going to think Boonholzer is going to be around? I mean, dude, he, he sat the freaking Middleton for stretches down, like minutes at a time down the stretch yesterday. It's like, you can't do that, man. You can't have both of those guys out when it's coming down to crunch time. Like, what are you doing? And you got Wesley Matthews starting and logging minutes and only scoring, what, like four points in a game? Like, that's not going to cut it. It's just for me, and Troy, I want you to hop in on this. It's just for me starting to sort of feel like those LeBron teams on the, on the Cavaliers back in the day, just these great regular season teams, you know, some guys stepping up into the roles during that time. And then when the playoffs come around, we're just asking ourselves the question, who is the second guy to back up LeBron and make shots, you know? Mo Williams is Mo Williams, Chris Middleton, you know, this whole conversation sort of seems to be playing itself out over again. And it doesn't make Giannis a guy that can't win the big one, but it also sort of feels like his game isn't where it needs to be to be that sole focus, like where everything revolves around him at all times for 48 minutes, four quarters. They can for a while, but not all four quarters. You know, Troy, what are you seeing with the Bucks? And then, and then on top of it, do you think they can get back in this series? Well, you know, in general, I agree with what both of you guys said, but I will counter with the fact that we saw it happen literally last year. Kawhi Leonard willed that team to a championship. Now, again, he had Kyle Lowry, all-star player, but by no means would, would I think any of us confuse him for, you know, a top 20 player in the league. He'd be right on that fringe, right? right 20-ish, depending on how you want to view it. But that was a one-man driven championship for sure. Um, I think the difference with Giannis is as a big man, I, I – in this modern age of run and gun basketball, I don't think as a big man you can, uh, if you don't have that skill set. And sure, he can lead a fast break down the court, but if you can't be the guy who can initiate the offense off the dribble as the superstar on your team, as we've seen, like whether it's LeBron, whether it's Dame, whether it's you know any of these guys, I, that I think you are at a, 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 a deficit in terms of like what you can contribute to your team overall, even if you are a superstar. That's why I don't think a guy like AD, who I agree, Higgs, I think AD is better than, you know, at least right now than Giannis. But like, again, he could not himself single-handedly lead a team because as a big man, you don't have the skill set to kind of affect the overall game. Um, I will say in this case, I do think Milwaukee can come back, but I will say in this case, I think it's a thing, uh, it, it, it maybe it actually comes down to matchups. Uh, kind of as we talked about when, when the bubble started, one of Milwaukee's bigness, biggest weaknesses is that they can't protect the three. They can't protect the outside shot. Looking at what's, what's Miami's, what's their greatest skill set right now? I think uh, they entered the, uh, the playoffs as the third best team in shooting efficiency. And, and again, you have a guy like Dragic who is lighting it up, right? He's getting hot right now. I think Last night was his 20th, uh, sixth straight game with 20 points or more. You got a guy like Tyler Hero who can shoot outside. Duncan Robinson is playing well. So, I mean, they're attacking Milwaukee's biggest weakness right now. So, I think to me right now, it's, it's, it's a combination of things. It's like I said, it's kind of the, the mental aspect that Milwaukee has to deal with, with with some of the things that have been going on back home. It's the idea that, you know, of course, they don't have the home court. But also, I just think they're meeting a hot, hot, hot team who their greatest strength is Milwaukee's biggest weakness. So I think matchups has a lot to say to it. But I, I, I can't imagine that they don't get back in the series. A franchise centered around Jimmy Butler and then drafting smartly and developing young players. Doesn't can we sound... talk Jimmy Butler real quick? Can we, can <laughs> we talk sound... about Jimmy Butler 
right now. It doesn't, that doesn't sound like a plan that would work. <laughs> Not no, in Chicago. it's perfect. As we've talked about, right, guys? Like, Jimmy Butler has to be the alpha dog on his team. He has to be so secure in his role as a man, as a basketball player, and not be questioned that this was the only way he was going to succeed. We saw that it wasn't succeeding near the end of his run with the Bulls, right? Butting heads with D-Rose, so forth. Same thing when he got traded to uh, uh, Minnesota, butting heads with Cat. Same thing when he got to Philly, butting heads with Joel. You know, so it's like, but now here he is where he is the unquestioned star and leader, and he's embracing that because he doesn't have the insecurities of, like, all these guys, like, no, no, I'm the top dog. No, no, you're the top dog. You know, that kind of mentality. So, I, you know, I, you know, as once again, as we shared privately, this guy is a diva, you know, but he, in this scenario, is proving that he is a 1A player in this league. When you grow facial hair like that you know that you're the unquestioned leader i just I, it's looking a little insane to me it's, it's a it's, it's a borderline count of monte cristo three musketeers uh situation going on and i thought i don't know maybe maybe that's what's working in miami right now higgs um real quick before we get into anything else i just want to hear you know can, how do the bucks get back into this series in your opinion oh man i dude i i don't know i think they can though i think i still have them winning in seven Wow. So I think they can't, you know, I think I have to go with it, right? I have them winning. Some you stick with it. I'm with you, buddy. And honestly, like, I don't know, those those games could have gone either way, you know? I mean, the Bucs are still the Bucs, the Freak's still the Freak. Boone also is going to have to just change his game plan up, man. Like, Dante DiVincenzo hasn't really played, and not that he's the answer, but the guy can jack threes. He's super athletic. He's great on defense. Um, and they, he's just been playing Wesley Matthews over him way too much, in my opinion. Crazy. So, um, and, you know, I'm not the biggest Eric Bledsoe fan. Last year, if you remember, during the playoffs, they decided to extend Bledsoe, and because they did that, Malcolm Brogdon went to the Pacers, which I thought was a big mistake. I like Malcolm Brogdon a lot. I think he's a steady dude. Not a lot of turnovers. can kind of do a little bit of everything. And playoff Bledsoe is striking again. I think he had, what, 16 points in the first half yesterday? And then he had two in the second? I mean, you need more from that guy, and he just disappears, man. I'm not a huge fan of his. Like I said, I like Middleton. Um, but uh, I don't know, dude. Miami's just – they're on a fight right now. And I think Jimmy is really – like you guys were just talking about how he's the man now in Miami. And I think that – his style of play, everybody in the Heat has gathered around him. And he's really got them with this identity of playing tough, playing together as a team, a little swagger, and they've all really coalesced around him and kind of following him, and they're all they're on fire right now, man. Oh, they are the Heat, though, so. Yeah, my favorite part about this Jimmy Butler Miami Heat team right now is that he doesn't need to score 25 or 30 a night for them to win. Typically – you know, when, like, you know, with the Rockets, you know, if Harden scores 17, they're going to have a hard time winning the game. What did Jimmy have last night? I think 13 points. I think he only 17. shot the ball. 17, yeah, he only shot the ball, I think, maybe eight or nine times. And you're like, oh, wow, well, this is a really interesting, you know, collection of talent here, guys hitting shots. And for the Bucks, if they want to get back in the series, they got to do the exact same thing. It's not going to come down to Giannis. It's going to come down to them making shots. I mean, I think there were seven for 25 from the three-point range uh, last night. That's 28% from the field for those doing math at home. Um, that's not very good. Might want to try and figure that out. And I know that this, is, this narrative is out there, 
and it's been played a lot on some very popular websites and everything. But again, last night, the Greek freak only playing 36 minutes in a playoff game that you have to have. What, excuse me, but what the fuck are you resting him for? You know, Dude, what I mean? that's, the thing is they had low, they had him on load management the entire season to have him saved up for the playoffs. Well, okay, now you're in the playoffs, and he has to play more minutes than that. That's what I'm saying. Like, Gutenholzer's strategy is is weird. And once again, if they don't win, man, he's, I would say, almost good as gone. Or the Freaks can be thinking about playing somewhere else because they lost last year, after, you know, in the second round. If they lose again in the second round this year, they, I mean, to me, out of any team in the playoffs, maybe, maybe besides the Rockets, Milwaukee is the most to lose if they don't advance. And Giannis might be looking in the mirror across the court and being like, Miami in 2021, this team is kind of interesting. And they're going to have like cap I mean, room. Besides, for me, besides the Spurs, I don't know what organization, what NBA organization would you want to play for? I mean, the Heat with Pat Riley at the helm have been consistently great for the past 20 years. Yeah, but then you know he's going to get in a fight with Jimmy Butler and then Jimmy, Jimmy's going to leave town. So it's like, does that situation work for Jimmy? You know, there is a place called the Madhouse on Madison where I know you can get a nice little Connie's pizza. Uh, <laughs> you can do the bagel race if you want to. Um, you know, there's a lot of family friendly amenities if Giannis might want to look just maybe a little bit south of that Milwaukee area. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to think that everything that we know about the Bucks, everything that we know about how they have a two-time MVP on their roster, that this team can most easily come back and at least take the series to six or, like you said, seven, and then let's see where the chips fall where they may. But, man, we've been talking about the Bucks like this for over a month now. We've been saying, what's wrong with the Bucks for, what, five weeks now? The defense doesn't look the same. You know, Giannis is still playing pretty well, but he's not his, at his apex skill right now. I'm just starting to wonder – you know, are we just going to keep going back to the well of like the Bucks will figure it out, the Bucks will figure it out until they just get bounced out of this thing? You know, Troy, what do you think? What do you think if the Bucks lose in this round, this second round? Do you think the coach might get fired? Do you think we're going to see roster changes on that team? You know, I I agree with you guys in that that is definitely a scenario. I this kind of strikes me a lot during the prime D Rose years where you have a team that just going for it during the regular season to just get the best regular season record possible and to some degree have kind of spent themselves so by the time they get to the playoff they, they've kind of have lost a little bit of steam now again this year is different right they had all the teams basically had load management for five months as they or, or three months as they kind of got reset for the bubble play but um yeah i 100 agree with you and Higgs in particular where it's like yeah, they're going to blow this team up if they can. Because then they'll, they'll, they'll see that this roster is not a championship-caliber roster. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, I agree with Higgs. I think this game goes – or this series goes to ultimately a Milwaukee favorite because I kind of think of the series as a microcosm of how you would view a game and the idea that, like, just weather the storm, right? Like, this team is just hitting every three, and you're just like, if you can just get past this, like, push, then, you know, theoretically things equal out, Right. So, as we kind of talked about earlier, like, shooting comes and goes at any given moment, right? So, if they can kind of weather this just offensive barrage that Miami's been putting on them, then I think, you know, equilibrium comes back into play. But, yeah, man, if I definitely see this, this team, you know, 
making a lot of changes if they get eliminated this round for sure. That is a good point about just trying to stick to it in the series. I mean, I'm not reinventing the wheel here by saying that the Bucks absolutely positively have to win game three. There's no other realm of, you know, there's no wiggle room on that one. And then if you win game three, the series is 2-1. You could still, in theory, lose that game four, go down 3-1, and still come back and at least tie the series and give yourself a shot to go on. I want to get into real quick, we're going to have a little Boston. Uh, Boston-Toronto is at 2-0 Boston right now. They're playing tonight. A little bit of a surprise, but at the same time, the games have been incredibly close, especially game two. and. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that Boston is playing so well because I've liked Boston, you know, this whole time. I think they're one of the deeper rosters out there, even without Gordon Hayward. You know, they still have Jason Tatum playing really well. You know, your boy, Time Lord, is all of a sudden now on the court, baby, making it happen. Higgs, I want to go to you first. You know, what has surprised you perhaps the most about the Celtics taking a 2-0 lead in that series? Uh, I mean, the big one is the fact that Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry can't hit a shot. I forgot what they were combined in the first two games. It was awful, man. I don't know, it was like 436 or something crazy. I don't know. It was really, really bad. So I think that's the, the biggest thing. I mean, that's two of their best players. If you, two of your best players can't hit shots, it's really hard to win. On top of the fact that, um, yeah, Boston's super deep, man, and everyone's – Tearing it up right now. I, I know you had already mentioned my boy uh, Robert Williams, the Time Lord. So I just want to give you a little, a little glimpse of, of why he's called the Time Lord. So check this out. So in the very first game, he played 19 minutes. He had 10 points on five of five shooting, five boards, two assists, and one steal. Game two, he only played 18 minutes. He's backing up uh, Daniel Tice. He had 11 points again on five of five shooting, four boards and a block. The Time Lord is for real. This guy needs more minutes, and he will uh, be the best player of all time. The Time Lord. Yeah, his per 36 right now has got him on pace with, like, Will Chamberlain or something like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Joy, what has surprised you the most about the Celtics taking a 2-0 lead over the Raptors? Well, one, we are seeing the ascendance of Jason Tatum as one of the next superstars of this league, in my opinion, and he does it so quietly. I feel like is, is he this era's Tim Duncan? He'll be a guy who, like, for five or six years is just doing it every year, and then you realize, whoa, look at this guy's numbers year in and year out. So I think we're just seeing him ascend. Um, I think the biggest factor is Kemba is healthy, man. Kemba is healthy and contributing to the team. And even more so, um, I think the Celtics are better this year by uh, addition by subtraction. I think the fact that you know, Kyrie is not on it. Kyrie is a world-class talent, but that guy is a pariah. That guy is a pariah on every team he's been on. So I think just the team chemistry, that in itself alone is helping Boston. I mean, I've read report after report after report about how great of a teammate Kemba is and how, like, things that Kyrie would have said or done, like, it's not even on the radar for, you know, Kemba. So, and he's still got that step back jump shot, man, which is crazy, man. I, I love that. Like, he literally, like, leaps back, like, three feet and then hits that jumper, which is it's, it's pretty cool to watch. So, yeah, I think just uh, the emergence of Jason Tatum, Kemba being healthy, and no Kyrie is really helping this run by the Celtics. Yeah, the biggest surprise for me is not so much 
You know, I, I completely agree with you. Tatum, I think, is coming into his own before our very eyes and turning into a really interesting go-to basketball player. The fact that he's been basically outplaying Siakam in this series hasn't been that big of a, of a shock to me, but I have been super surprised to Hagel's point about how the Celtics' backcourt has completely outplayed the Toronto backcourt so far. I mean, Marcus Smart has been awesome in the first two games. I think he's leading the team in assists at like over five a game right now. And like you said, Kemba's hitting big shots. And Van Vliet came in as this player that was just rising, 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 exceeding expectations all along the way, and he just hasn't got it done so far. Again, this is another series. Both these series in the East right now, I think everyone was picking Raptors and Bucks to go forward. They're both down 2-0. I mean, I got to be honest. I find it highly unlikely that both those teams come back from 2-0 deficits to win a series. I can wrap my head around one. I can't wrap my head around the other. So I think probably the Raptors are in the most trouble out of these, out of these two rounds right now. And again, with the Celtics, I just like their bench. I just think that they have a pretty nice, deep seven or eight man rotation. Everyone says Nick Nurse is like the best coach in the NBA. Well, Brad Stevens is pretty good too as well. So maybe that's close to a wash. And I'm kind of, I'm a little worried about the Raptors in this series you know, I mean, how many games, like, do either of you guys think that the Raptors can come back and win this series or how long do you think this series can go? Cause I don't think that the Celtics are going to be sweeping Toronto. Well, I picked the Raptors after uh, round one to win it all. So I got to stick with them at this point. I got the bucks. Too. Uh, yeah. So um, the odds say that the Celtics will win in five, but yes, I have the Raptors win it all. So I'm going to stick with them in Stick with them in seven. But I wouldn't Joy, doubt it. Joy, Joy, what do you think is going to happen in that Celtics-Raptors series? I, don't, I mean, again, the Celtics are playing well. And, uh, you know, maybe it's a situation where the Raptors are just losing steam. But this is a case for both the Raptors and Milwaukee where no home court actually or any court helps them. Because, right, in this scenario, they would both be going to the opposite team's home court and no having to deal with that mess, right? So it's like in a weird way – now it's kind of, I mean, you never want to be down 0-2, but being down 0-2, it's probably to some degree helping you out that you don't have to now travel to the away team's, you know, arena and city for that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would obviously my money would be more so on Bucks moving forward than Toronto. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, whether or not Miami is a great team or a hot team, that's up for debate in my opinion, but I think Boston is legitimately a good team. And so I think, you know, in that case, maybe, maybe uh, they will uh, prevail over Toronto. So let's head back to our current zip code. Let's go to the West. We got a series starting tonight, the Nuggets and Clippers and gentlemen, you know, we all uh, were social distancing, but we were able to be in the same ether as each other as we watched jazz nuggets. Don't really need to get into that slugfest, that 80 to 78 slugfest. So let's just keep moving it forward. I'll just be very blunt with you. I'm not going to spin it any other way. I don't see any scenario where the Nuggets beat the Clippers in this next round. I mean, I don't, I'm not calling sweep here, but, you know, five games, six games, somewhere along the way. Do you guys see any scenario where the Nuggets make it tough on the Clippers? And if you do, how would they go about doing said thing? if you want to go first sure um well I, I agree with you i got the clips over the nugs probably five games uh the only way i can kind of see the nuggets winning if jamal murray can replicate his first round performance Jokic averages a triple double 
and Michael Porter Jr. punishes the team that passed on him in the draft. <laughs> Other than that, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm with you. Choi, uh, are, you, are you feeling the same thing right now, or, or do you got yeah, maybe I mean, a compelling case for the court? That series against the Nuggets was, I mean, against uh, the Jazz was amazing. But it, here's the truth. The Nuggets are both emotionally and physically spent. I mean, they put everything they had into that series to get into the round, second round. So, I mean, maybe that's enough to get them one more win, maybe two. But I just, I don't think you can be on that emotional and physical high and now maintain it through a team that's, you know, one of the favorites since the beginning of the season to win it all. And, you know, not that it's been much rest, but, you know, uh, you know the Clips have had a little bit more rest, obviously, than uh, the Nuggets and have been able to prepare for them as well. So I just... You know, uh, to, uh, to Aaron's point, man, sure, maybe Jamal does that again, but it's like even when – and we talked about him when we watched the game. Even when a guy is scoring like that, I don't think that's conducive for your overall team play because that's a lot of watching. You know, that's a lot of guys on the court just watching the other guy take over. And if that guy doesn't score, you know, a third of your points or more, it's like – you, you can't rely on that because, as we talked about, that's just not sustainable. That's not sustainable to winning a championship. That may win you a game. That may win you a first-round series against a team that's, you know, uh, of your caliber. But when you're trying to beat a championship-caliber team, that's just not sustainable. To me. It's a tough sell, right? And as incredible as he's been, Jamal Murray averaging 45 a game to get you through a series is, is not sustainable, right? I mean <laughs> – if Zach Levine scored 45 points a game, we would be in the playoffs right now. Hot take oven. You know what I mean? And my big question is, and I'm with you, Hags, like on the flip side of the Michael Porter situation, really excited watching him throughout these playoffs, but I have a feeling that it might be a hard time. You know, Denver might have a hard time keeping him on the court if he's got Kawhi and Paul George shadowing him. And conversely, you know, on defense, can Michael Porter play the defense that's necessary against those type of players to be able to stay on the court during a playoff series like that. And yeah, for Denver, you know, they would need a big series from Gary Harris, maybe a Paul Millsap siding um, if possible, but yeah, it's just a really hard sell across the board. The only thing that I could possibly see is that, you know, maybe they, the Clippers give away a game, you know, here and there because they haven't necessarily played fantastic basketball, not just in the bubble, but during this first round, I still think they're a team that's still trying to, I think, come back together a little bit, you know, get Lou Williams back into the rhythm, Montrez Harrell back into the rhythm, you know, Patrick Beverly, you know, the, the whole mix is still something that I think is being, uh, being put together a little bit. So maybe they can lose a game early, maybe sneak, you know, Denver sneaks a game one out there, but I just don't see a scenario where this game gets, uh, this series gets very interesting. Hags, hop in. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers are at full strength now. I mean, Granville probably need, you know, a couple games to kind of get into the rhythm, but they don't have any injuries at this point. Everybody's back. Defensively, they're super deep. Montrez, Marcus Morris, Kawhi, Paul George. You know, against the, the Mavericks, it was exciting. I wanted, you know, I wanted to see what Kawhi was going to do against Doncic and how he was going to shut him down. To my surprise, a lot of people surprised, Luka was taking him to the hole, man. Like, I was shocked. So I kind of want to see what Kawhi does against Jamal Murray. I'm like, oh, he's going to smoke him. But Jamal Murray's been on a tear. So either way, for me personally, I'm more pumped to see this series than I am Lakers and Rockets. Just because I do like Denver. They have a different kind of team. 
I love watching Jokic. You know, like you just give that guy the ball. He's so fun to watch. And it's going to be interesting interesting to see how the Clippers defend Jokic. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be fun. Fun side note, Choi, are you already missing Doncic in these playoffs? Because I am. <laughs> Everybody is. Yeah. You know, and I, I actually wanted to ask you guys a question that we kind of mentioned Jamal Murray and, you know, just we've obviously shared between, you know, us and our group text, just this idea that, like, I don't know if I like the way, in my opinion, you know, the NBA play has kind of devolved to. Yeah, sure, these guys are scoring 40-plus points a game, but, I mean, like, does that mean anything anymore? I mean, I, I kind of compare it to baseball with the home runs. Does that home run mean anything more when literally, like, you know, your, your, your backup second baseman is hitting 20-plus home runs? And, these, you know, we're seeing guys like, you know, the prolific scoring of guys like Dame and T.J. Warren, Jamal Murray, obviously, you know, all these huge offensive numbers. But to me, it's almost like it's just video game stats now. So I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. And I also don't know how I feel about does a 40-point game even mean anything anymore? I think you bring up a fantastic comparison between the home run and the 40-point game where I'm right there with you where the Jazz, you know, Donovan Mitchell was awesome in that series at times, scoring at will in so many different ways from three, driving to the hoop, you know, take your pick, he was doing it. But then in those crunch time moments, we were literally watching that game and Utah really did not have any clue what to do on offense if it wasn't Donovan Mitchell just driving to the hoop and shooting. And to the comparison with baseball, and why I love what you just said so much, you nailed it on the head. You know, the home run is great. The home run is awesome. But it will come at a point in the time in the game when later in the game there's going to be runners on base. And you might not necessarily need the home run. You just need a single, or you just need contact, or you just need to move a runner over. And the run counts the same. You could hit the ball 500 feet and you could hit it 90 feet. If you reach base safely and the run scores, it all counts the same. And I think that that is a situation where for some of these NBA teams, you know, the big time scoring performances are great, but I do start to ask myself the question, you know, the jazz got so one dimensional at times. And I think Donovan Mitchell felt so he lacked the confidence to perhaps run any, any anything that resembled an NBA offensive set without him trying to shoot and score. And I think at the end of the day, the stats are really nice, but I don't think it helps you win games. Higgs, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you can look at Jordan back in the day before the Bulls got Scotty and Horace. He, you know, I think in 87, he averaged 37 points a game. But they didn't go anywhere in the playoffs. You know, they couldn't do anything. Once again, going back to you need a couple other stars in the team, and the Bulls didn't start winning championships until they got Scotty and Horace. So it's – who else is scoring on the, on the Jazz? Like you said, it's really hard to do by yourself. And at the very least, when Jordan was scoring, you know, 45-46 in the NBA Finals, they still had the triangle. I think, like, the whole thing for me is that you have to, at the very least, create the specter of the threat of the ball going somewhere else. Just make the defense respect what you're doing out there. And – for, you know, a lot of these teams, that's why you go out and you get, like, the Robert Covingtons of the world, right? Like, and I know that they were missing Bogdanovich, which, which hurts. I get it. But at the same time, like, you know, the, just the sets that they were running, like, you know, you couldn't make Ingles a threat, like, at any point. Jingle juice. You couldn't, like, at least run the ball off him and try and get some open shots. It just sort of seemed like they got so one-dimensional, got so predictable that, I mean, yeah, when they scored only 78 points, in a game seven game, 
I guess you're just not that surprised. Well, on top of that, I mean, Gobert is an awesome defensive player, but offensively, he'd be, he's not that great, man. You don't run no, him. Through him, yeah. No, I mean, he's got bad hands for being a big dude. Conley, you know, they brought in, and he's a steady hand, but I think after, like, the first couple of games, he shot terribly, including missing that game winner. I mean, obviously, it can go either way. It was a tough shot, but still. Um, yeah, he's – I don't know what – yeah, I don't know. They got to make some decisions next year. And I'm with you, Troy. I, I, that's why I like a team like the Celtics. I mean, not like like them, like them, like they're going to win the title, but I enjoy watching them just because I think they have a lot of above-average pieces. And it's not like that they share the ball more than others, but there's other guys that can hurt you on the court at the same time. So just because you're locked in on Jason Tatum – I mean, there was times – I've been watching these playoffs, and this is maybe to your point of, like, they're picking up Damian Lillard like 45 feet away from the basket. They were picking up Harden last night. They, were, they, were, they weren't even saying, like, they were saying, screw the screen and roll. We're just going to jump that screen and roll and get in front of it so you can't even do it. And that was happening, like, 38 feet away from the basket. And it's just really these defenses just trying to jump what we would think would be this, this one-man one basketball situation. And I get it. These guys are amazing scorers, but I just don't think it leads to ultimate success as a team. I mean... And, I, you know, and part of that, too, is, like, it, it's the coaching. It's, it's become a, a player's league, right? So, like, in any other scenario, I mean, look, I love when I see Dame. I love when I see Steph. I love when I see any of these guys shoot a 40-foot three with it as a part of their regular offensive set. But, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, coach would have saw that. I'd go, I don't care if you make that. You're sitting on the bench for the next five minutes, you know, because it's like that – in the long run, it's not a high percentage shot. Sure, maybe you can make three or four or five in a row in a given stretch, but over the long haul, yeah, you're not a 45 foot shot that's not bailing out the shot clock is not a smart shot. I don't care if you're Steph Curry, I don't care if you're any of these guys, it's not a smart shot. And it only emboldens these guys when they make it. Cause then it's like, yeah, why isn't this part of my regular offensive game then? Why can't this be a part of my regular offensive game? So I just, you know, again, to Aaron's point, sure. We've always had the guys, whether it's Michael Jordan, any of these guys who scored, you know, been scorers. But I'm talking about when you have guys like Austin Rivers scoring 41 points in the bubble, when you have guys like, and we've kind of had the debate with TJ Warren, but when you have guys like TJ Warren scoring 50, I remember a time when if you saw a guy score 30 points, I was like, whoa, 30 points. Tony Kukoc had 30 points. Chris Duhon just scored 27 points. Wow. But, you know, that, that would not raise your radar today. Until that guy hits 45-plus points, at this point, that's when you're like, wow, that, that's crazy scoring. So I just – I don't know. This proliferation of scoring, is just, it, it's – not that I'm a purist by any means, but it's just this idea that, like, it's just glorified one-on-one ball now. It's just glorified pickup ball now. I mean, you don't have to be a purist to just look at the fact that the NBA team that allowed – the least amount of points per game this year allowed 107. That was the lowest amount allowed per game. Now that is that's crazy. from when we were growing up in the nineties and 25 years ago, I would say what that's 17, 18 points, probably off what, you know, what we would consider the best yeah. defensive team in the NBA. So, I mean, those extra points got to go somewhere and that probably turns into a situation where maybe guys put on a little bit those extra points. I want to just get to you. I want to hit uh, some Lakers Rockets, and then I want to talk a little Bulls on the way out. So let's talk about this Rockets Lakers series. Rockets get through round one by the skin of their teeth. 
you know, will that, uh, will that galvanize them and inspire them to play better basketball in round two? I'm not so sure. I like the Lakers in this series. That's not, uh, that's not breaking news, but I guess the question <laughs> for you guys is, you know, how much of a test, uh, how much can the Rockets test the, these Lakers in the second round? Or do you think this could, uh, this could maybe get ugly quickly? Uh, Choi, we'll go to you first on this one. Well, you know, um, I thought the strategy against the Lakers with Portland would just be barraging them with an offensive onslaught, and that didn't work. So, uh, you know, Houston is very much in that same mold as Portland is. So if their biggest strength is offense and the Lakers were able to weather that with Portland, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really see them. I don't really see them doing that much. Uh, you know, maybe they pull a game or two out, but – think this is the Lakers series I mean the only thing is obviously Harden scores like he does and then we see the continued offensive contribution from Robert Covington from Russell Westbrook from Eric Gordon but if all four of those guys aren't clicking on offense it's it's a done series Higgs you mentioned a little bit earlier you weren't super excited for Rockets Lakers coming up and I'm asking you you know you're not excited to watch PJ Tucker and Robert Covington get their ass kicked by Anthony Davis all series or <laughs> uh, just give us your general thoughts on, on what you're looking, uh, what you're looking at with this series. And do you think this could become a competitive series? Um, it, it could be, I have the Lakers in six on this one. Um, I think the Rockets could definitely take a couple of games because to me, once again, Anthony Davis, my favorite player, one of the best players, LeBron, one of the best players of all time. So, so anytime you have those two on a team, you have a really good shot of winning. Um, I unfortunately just really don't like the rest of the Lakers roster. Like it's not – like when you look at it on paper, it's just like, okay, it's just a bunch of like pieces in there. I mean, you got playoff Rondo, of course. Uh, but we'll see what Vogel does because, you know, they got uh, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard – those guys have pretty much been platooning at center. But if you're going against the Rockets, where the tallest player is 6'7", those guys cannot get out to the three-point line. So if Vogel sticks with a big lineup, I think they, they could lose a game or two. I think if he switches, puts Anthony Davis to the five, Kuzma at the four, because Anthony Davis can get out to the three-point line. He can guard all over the place. That guy's awesome. So I think the Lakers will ultimately do it. Um, yeah, I mean, Harden's going to go off at some point. Uh, Westbrook is too, but I just think the Lakers, because of Anthony Davis and LeBron, aren't, aren't going to lose. Yeah, really curious to see, as you mentioned, you know, you got to play McGee at some point, right? And you're going to have Dwight out there. So how do they roll out those minutes and what do those lineups and matchups kind of look like when that does happen? I'm with you. I'm really excited to watch Westbrook versus Rondo. Uh, welcome to the Double Technical Festival. Uh, because that is a thousand percent going to be going on <laughs> sort of chirpiness of some kind. And there's just a part of me as well. You know, you mentioned Harden. This series sort of seems catered towards LeBron having an absolutely huge series. If you have a situation where, you know, AD is your five, I'm with you. I think Kuzma needs to have a, a, a positive series, maybe not a strong series to, you know, seal the deal and the victory, but he needs to play some minutes. I think, you know, with LeBron, Covington, P.J. Tucker, these types of players guarding him. I just think that he can really have himself a nice series. I think we might see two or three triple doubles from him because he's already good at – he's already dishing the dimes this year and scoring points. But this series, I think he could really grab a bunch of boards too as well. So I like that too as well. I, I just kind of feel like Lakers in five, to be honest with you. These, this Rockets team on paper, you're just like, oh, I get it. This seems interesting. 
you play that team in 2K and you're like, okay, I get it. This seems interesting. But then the parts on the court don't really seem to work. And, and Westbrook makes these awful decisions on the regular. You never know when Harden is going to drop that four for 15. And they're super small. And those three things together just don't make me think it might be a very competitive series. You know, Choi, what do you, what do you think, you know, who, if you're, if you're the Rockets and the Rockets say to themselves, okay, we need to win this series. Are you looking at Westbrook? Or are you looking at Harden to be actually that true X factor? Well, no, I don't think either of them are. Cause if Westbrook and Harden don't play to the level that they can, then it's, it's over. So it is the X factor is, you know, a Covington, the X factor is Eric Gordon. So it's those guys. Cause you, you better hope Harden, you know, gets you 30 plus a night and then Westbrook gets you 20 plus a night. So it's the idea that like, Hey, can Westbrook Covington, can they get me, you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Gordon and Covington get me, you know, near 20 a night as well. Um, I will say there, the, the only way potentially they may make a little bit of a run in this series is the fact that they do play small ball. Cause that would be the only way you kind of neutralize Anthony Davis and you would definitely neutralize Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee if you go small ball. So I think to some degree, the, 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 the size of the Lakers can be um, a little bit neutralized by uh, Houston's play, but that would mean that Houston would just have to be running up and down the court with their small uh, lineup. And again, I don't know how sustainable that is if you're trying to score, you know, 150 points a night because you're just playing so fast. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, if the ball keeps going in the hoop, size doesn't matter, right? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't matter if you keep, uh, keep shooting and scoring. Um, I want to get on to some bulls before we get out of here. Just real quick, we're going to go to each of you, Hags first. Just recap who you think uh, is winning these round two series in the East. Who do you think is winning these round two series in the West? Um, well, like I said, the Raptors win the whole thing. So I, I'm just going to – I got I to stick with my picks. Same thing with the Bucks. They had Bucks, Raptors. Um, and then same, same as before, Lakers, Clippers, which is going to be awesome. L.A. basketball. Troy, uh, who, do you, who do you got winning these, these round two matchups? Uh, I mean, obviously the West, if anybody bets against the Lakers and Clippers move forward, you're going to win a lot of money if that bet comes through. Uh, but in the East, I'm going to differ a little bit. I think uh, the Bucks are going to pull it off, um, but I also think the Celtics will uh, come through against the Raptors. So uh, the Celtics are kind of like my sleeper pick to go far in these playoffs now. I'm with you. I'm not cashing in my Nuggets lottery tick, uh, ticket this year. Uh, I just don't think it's going to work out. So I do see both L.A. teams winning fairly easily in this second round as we gear up for an all-L.A. Western Conference Finals matchup. And then, Joy, I'm in agreement with you, man, and I got to stick with the Bucks. I think just one of those series, I think the favorite, one of the favorite teams needs to come back and win. So I like the Bucks a little bit more. And I do see the Boston Celtics probably in six games taking down the Toronto Raptors. They've just they've got those two games in their pocket now. And all, all they got to do now is just, you know, they got to squeak one game out and play really well one more time, and then they get to four, and, and then there you go. So that's sort of how I feel about that. Let's just talk about some Bulls real quick. Remember the Chicago Bulls? Um, it's been a while. Uh, how you been? <laughs> Welcome back. And NBA draft's coming up. You know, NBA free agency, we've got our – Got our old boy Jimmy Buckets uh, leading a team of, like I mentioned earlier, uh, developed, drafted prospects with a salary cap situation that's looking really good. He's the focal point. He's the centerpiece. And they're giving, uh, they're giving the number one seed everything they've got in the playoffs right now. And it just really just starts to just hammer in the side. 
And I got to be honest with you, maybe we'll just start here and go from there. So excited that we have a new front office. So excited that we're heading in a new direction, especially when we hire a new coach. You know, the cup shall be full with hope. But man, I'm going through trauma still. I have tons. I just have emotional scars. Choi, we're going to start with you first because you literally were texting out of nowhere. Just fuck Gar and Pax. You know, they, they got fired, Mike, but it still seems to hurt. <laughs> well, it's just Jimmy Butler is a top 20. Say what you want about his attitude. Say what you want about his personality. But definitively a top 20 player in this league. And, oh, I don't know. He's not worth a max contract. It's just like it, it, it boggles my mind that, you know, these guys don't see the talent in front of their faces to spite themselves and trade for, you know, geez, Zach Levine and what ended up being Laurie Markkinen and Chris Dunn. Restricted um, free agent Chris Dunn. Yeah, I will, you know, uh, real quick, because it kind of, I want to maybe potentially tie this back into the Bulls coach, uh, coaching candidates. What do, you, what do you guys think of the Steve Nash hiring by the Nets? Like, totally out of left field. I mean, I personally love it because obviously his resume is impeccable as a player. Right. And um, I think one of the biggest things that he has always been known for is just, he is a thoughtful guy. He is this guy who is very personable. And, and in this day and age, as we've kind of uh, texted with each other about, you know, I think more so than X's and O's, it comes down to how you manage personalities in the NBA in this day and age. And uh, yeah, the fact that obviously he was vouched for by KD and Kyrie, uh, obviously, that, that tells you all you need to know about how that infrastructure is run in New Jersey right now, but, uh, or in Brooklyn. But yeah, I mean, the fact that he came out of nowhere, does that help the Bulls or does that make the Bulls now think a little bit more outside of the box in terms of who they would potentially have? Because yeah, he came out of left field. Higgs, I want to hear your opinion on this first because I got, I got a bit of a take on this one. Go for it. On the Nash hiring? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, Thought it was weird, man. I don't know. Like, you're hiring a guy who's never coached before. Um, you know, Jacques Vaughn took over as their their interim coach after Atkinson got the axe, <clears throat> and he did really well in the bubble. And what I've read today is they're going to keep him on as the head assistant coach, the highest paid assistant coach in the league. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I was very, very, very surprised. I think it helps the Bulls, though. I mean, that's one. I never even had Nash. Any, I never heard Nash's name anywhere. Nobody. So the fact that he's off, off the board, which leaves more coaches for the Bulls to interview, I think is a good thing for the Bulls. I'm totally confused by this, and, and I hope I'm wrong. I think Steve Nash is one of the most fun basketball players I've ever watched perhaps in my life. I mean, he really was like on a February night. If you said, you know, watch some random NBA basketball game, I'd probably watch a Steve Nash game, just the way that he controls offense. And it seems very clear that obviously Katie and, and Kyrie do not want an actual coach on their team. They want someone that is literally just going to communicate with them with what they want to do. And then the coach will just say, okay, but you know what? In general, I'm kind of calling bullshit on this one. And I don't want to go as far as to say, you know, the big Stephen A. Smith video is, you know, it's calling Steve Nash white privilege and all this other kinds of stuff. And I'm not going to go that far, even though that's out there. So I do want to address it. But I will say this, that like, you've got guys, you've got other Hall of Famers too. Patrick Ewing, Jason Kidd. You've got guys that wanted to be head coaches for years and they had to start at the bottom, at the bottom rung and work their way up learn the NBA, learn the coaching tree, learn the system, learn how to put together assistant coaches. 
and understand all that. Now I know the Steve Nash behind the scenes has been like a consultant, especially for the Warriors recently. Warriors, yeah. So he's been around basketball. It's not that he's just, you know, walking off a soccer field or from, you know, making sandwiches for his kids. And now he's coaching, but at the same time, you know, I'm just, and we're deep in it because we're the bulls, right? We're looking at all these assistant coaches and I'm just kind of like looking at all these assistant coaches and just, man, they're getting the short end of the stick. You know, they put in the time. They know the NBA, I guarantee you, probably maybe a little bit better than Steve Nash knows it right now. And look, they're not going to get paid as much as him. They're not getting a four-year contract like him. I mean, you know, not to get into the Becky Hammond thing, but Becky Hammond's like, I don't even want to interview for someone unless you're willing to offer me a four-year contract. And guess what? She doesn't really seem like she's interviewing for anything right now. We'll see what happens. But all of a sudden, you just slap a four-year contract with Steve Nash. And let's be real, Brooklyn as an organization – do they really know what they're doing? I mean, is this like, is this really the prescient move? Uh, are they really on the cutting edge? So I just have a lot of questions and I like Steve Nash and I hope that he's successful. And I was excited about watching the Nets next year, but man, this thing just, it just kind of reeks to be honest with you. And I, I don't like it. Go ahead, Choi. Well, in the best case scenario, the ceiling is Steve Kerr, same situation, right? Sure. I mean, a guy who, you know, I think he GM for former Phoenix. GM. Former yeah. GM, horrible GM. If you look at the transactions oh, he made boy. for Phoenix when he was there, but you know the one guy of, who the one guy who traded for Shaq and it was a yeah. shitty move, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but right uh, in terms of coaching, no coaching experience, right? That worked out pretty well for the Warriors. Now he could also be speaking of another former Nets coach. He could also be Jason Kidd and flame out really horribly, right? But you know, as we mentioned before, and even earlier about this idea that like, it's not a coach's league anymore, right? It's a player's league. And the fact that this is, there is no doubt right in any of our minds, this is what Katie and Kyrie wanted. It's a hundred percent what they wanted. So that dictated this hire for sure. And so the fact that the players can basically, I mean, I guess to some degree, there's always been player influence you know, in terms of hires and trades and uh, free agents and so forth. But the fact that that can be dictated by players, just like I said, when a guy shoots 60 feet away from the basket and the coach doesn't bench him, you know, it's, it's a player's league. And ultimately, if it's what they want, then so be it. But yeah, to Aaron's point, that just means the, be the better candidates that are still on the board that could have gotten these jobs are available for the Bulls. Yeah, and that's a really great point too because we just went up the, uh, we just went up the rankings, right, of uh, great <laughs> like landing spots. Higgs, I do want to ask you, though, like, catering to superstars, I get it, right? Putting them in positions where they're comfortable and that they can communicate with a coach to get to the ultimate success, I totally understand. But do you necessarily trust Kevin Durant's psych and Kyrie Irving's psych in terms of selecting the coach? And do you really think those two personalities are the kind of people that should be allowed to be calling the shots on a basketball team? Because I have doubts. I, I do. They kind of deserve each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm I, <laughs> like, I used to love Durant when he was in the Thunder, but when he, when he, you know, couldn't beat him, so he joined him and went to the Warriors, I kind of lost all respect for that guy. And he's still, still a great player, but still wasn't happy, and he's still, like, upset about the whole thing. Kyrie – same thing I used to like, and he's got great handles, but he's just like a cancer every team that he's been on. So it's like they kind of deserve each other. Um, hey, man, good luck. You know, I, you, I know you said you're excited to watch the Nets next year. I personally am not. 
because I don't like watching. I don't. I just don't like those guys anymore. Man. So they're going to be a good team. I mean, Durant's one of the best of all time, and Kyrie's a stud. So they're going to be good. I mean, I'm guessing they'll make the playoffs. I just kind of don't give a shit. I just kind of want to watch them because I give it about 32 games before KD or Kyrie wants one or the other off the team. So this is a limited engagement we're talking about here, Aaron. It's going to be here, and then it's going to be gone. And I do feel for Steve Nash, right? And to your point, Choi, you're right, man. It's, 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 it's one or the other where he either becomes Steve Kerr, and they go, wow, what a genius move. It totally worked. And he's there for four or five years. Or Steve Nash gets fired by the end of maybe one year, maybe like 10 games into the second season and never coaches again and just never comes back. And the Nets have to eat the rest of that money. And it'll be very interesting to see. Just, it just felt, it just feels very weird to me. And obviously from a Bulls perspective, because we're looking at like the long list of all these assistants that have put in the time and come from these different coaching trees and everyone speaks glowingly about them. And you just really, you want to, and that's where the Bulls are at. We want to find that next great coach that can be, you know, at the helm for God forbid, five to eight years. Right. And that's what we're looking for. And just to think that a guy just jumps to the head of the line right there because he was handpicked by Kyrie Irving, it just makes me kind of laugh a little bit that I just can't really wrap my head around it. Before we get out of here, let's just uh, let's talk some bulls real quick. You know, lucked out in the draft, free agent Did class. We? I mean, better than seven. It's better, sure. than, it's better than seven. Four is not seven. Yeah. And, I think you so. know, my question for you guys, you know, of all, the, of all the things that are coming up, we've got our coaching decision, we've got our NBA draft, and we've got free agency. Out of those three, which one do you think, or which one are you most excited about to see what the Bulls do in that area? Because you think that one area might be able to help them be a touch better than they were last year. Well, I'm going free agency for sure, because this is a pipe dream. But I'm hoping for AD coming back to his hometown. So <laughs> I'm, I am rooting. The stranger things have happened, man. Stranger things coach. have happened. No but stranger I'm just saying that, happen. like, listen, if the Lakers win it all, that'll be tough for him to leave, although Ka- uh, Kawhi did it. But I think if kind of like as we talked about with Giannis, if things go really south, I mean, other than being in L.A., what does the future really hold for AD? Because, I mean, LeBron's got maybe a year or two left in his tank, although I know he wants to play until uh, Bronny gets into the league, supposedly. But, um, but yeah, I think free agency, uh, if, if this were, uh, uh, I know you guys will be surprised to hear this, if this were a Zion-level draft, then I would 100% be uh, excited for this draft. But, man, I mean, the draft is always a crapshoot any year, but this year in particular with, you know, the, the, with COVID and now none of these. didn't even watch pros- him. Didn't even yeah, watch no, him play. Yeah. And then none of these prospects being anywhere near the idea of like, these guys are franchise caliber, like saving players. Like I am not excited by the, by the draft at all. So I think most imminently the way we can improve ourselves is be it by trade or free agency, um, um, you know, making that instant upgrade. Anthony Davis, Montrez Harold, Danil Gallinari, Hazan Whiteside, Chris Dunn restricted, Fred Van Vliet, Sergey Baca, Jordan Clarkson, also out there in a free agent market, and obviously Anthony Davis is the crown jewel. Higgs, new coach, new prospect in the draft, or maybe a new uh, 
new uh, fancy free agent, we would have to probably move some money around if we do dip into free agency. But what are you most excited about in that area that can maybe make the Bulls better in 2021? Coach, the coach. I mean, not even close for me. We, we, we had Jim Boylan for, what, a year and a half? And we had the mayor, Freddie Hoiberg, before it, that. It felt like 15, but maybe it wasn't. I, it feels like, yeah, like 20 years have gone by since we had Tibbs. Oh, my God, yeah. No, it, for me, it's not even close. The coach, we have to get this right for once. It's been so long since we've had a good coach. And before Tibbs, we hadn't had a good coach since Phil. So to me, it's all about getting a coach that we can hopefully build around, like you said, for five to eight years. You know, I'd like to have a coach be around for a while, set a system in place. Uh, the number two for me would be the draft. Uh, yeah, we've got the number four pick, which is usually great. But like everybody's saying, this is like the one year was a total crapshoot. I still think the Bulls can get somebody good at that point. Uh, we'll see. But I was reading that uh, Boston has three first round picks this year. So a team that could potentially go to the championship has three first-round picks. And then the Warriors have the number two pick. Like, that's crazy to me, man. So next year, Steph's going to be back. Clay will be back. You got them two. And then you got Wiggins at the three, Draymond at the four. And the number two pick for me, why not take James Wiseman at that point? He's 7-1. He's one of the best guys to come out. Uh, you know, a lot of question marks. But that guy's 7-1 in a center. He's good at rolling to the rim. He's good at setting picks. You don't really need him to do anything. So can you imagine if they draft him? That starting five is going to be pretty damn good, man. It's just a joke that those guys are coming back, championship team intact, and then get the number two pick on that. Lastly, with the free agent class, that's number three for me. I would love to get Anthony Davis. If I'm him, there's zero chance I'm going to the Bulls organization. I don't care what they sell me on. It just doesn't make any sense. I would personally stay in LA. So after that, slim pickings on the draft class. I mean, I'm sorry, the free agent class. So that's why I think the coach is so big. I think on paper, once again, we have a decent team. We just need a coach that knows how to utilize them. Laurie marketing should be way better than he is. And he hasn't been because they don't know what to do with him. Yeah. Dude, the guy's 6'11". He's stronger than you think. He can jack threes. You can take it to the hole. I like Wendell. I like Levine. Chris Dunn's not a starter, but he's awesome on defense. Kobe White, as I've said before, to me, he's a Lou Williams kind of guy. Uh, and then you got Cristiano Felicio. I mean, come on. In our back pocket, the ace up our sleeve, the ace. As, they, as they call it. Well, at the very least, you would hope marketing could be better than, say, a Duncan Robinson, who's been, you know, lights out for Miami and hitting, like you said, at least hitting those threes, providing a little bit of some length. I'm personally going to go with number one for me, the draft. The reason that is, is because I want to see what kind of guy Karnasovas picks. I want to see, you know, what his talent palette is, if you will. I'm with you that the coach is a close one because, you know, obviously very, very important. We need some stability there for once in our lives for, you know, after just going through the turnstiles these last four five, six years without Tibbs around, would really love to see that. But Cornosos is really interesting to me picking at four because, you know, does he go with that? Oh, man, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not even going to say it. The, Europe, the European sensation that everyone's talking about, Denny. I'm just going to leave it there at Denny. Or does he Joey go? Joey loves him. Does he, go Obi, does he go Obi Toppin? You know, does he go in a different direction? If Wiseman slips, would he do something there along those lines? I just want to see what kind of player, you know, when he looks at the number four pick, 
even if the draft class isn't great, I want to see this dude find the diamond in the rough. I want to see if he has the balls to take the lottery ticket. Maybe if, you know, when everyone goes, wow, you know, I can't believe he went at four there. I want to see a little bit of that conviction. Maybe not the Ryan Pace conviction, because that's the wrong kind of conviction. <laughs> but I do want to see some kind of confidence there. In terms of free agency, not really sure what we do unless we go in and we trade some guys. I would be really interested if we could pull off something like that. You know, I personally think we should be going around to a lot of different teams, packaging Zach Levine and Wendell Carter, and saying, you know, what can we get? For these two guys, you know, go to Portland and see if you can get a CJ McCollum and maybe, you know, maybe another piece along the way too as well, because my whole vibe is you're going to have to make a decision on Wendell Carter after this year. And even if you like Wendell Carter or not, it's irrelevant. The point is he hasn't been on the court long enough. So when he goes to restricted free agency, it's going to be an overpay, whether you like it or not. And you just hope and pray that he lives up to that contract. So I would probably look in an area of getting him out now, while his value still is something, restart the clock somewhere with that front court. And if you have to part with Zach Levine, great. Like, it gets some money back off the books. You can kind of prepare for 2021 a little bit. You can draft some guy, run it back. I mean, I'll be honest. I, it would be really great if the Bulls went to the playoffs this year, but if they don't make it, we're not going to be shocked, right? Give him at least one-year grace period before the heat starts coming in on, you know, the Kornisovas era, if you will. And that's probably what I, I just want to see what kind of guy he falls in love with at four. I want to see what kind of dude he drafts. You know, we learned quickly Gar Foreman loves Doug McDermott because he trades Nurkic and Gary Harris to go up and get him. That is that. And then we found out who he is by making those moves. I want to see what we do at four there. Troy, hop in. Well, I, I think you nailed it subconsciously. The fact that you had said that diamond in the rough at number four that shouldn't be a diamond in the rough pick the number four you know maybe up to five those should be like guaranteed cornerstones um and if they're not a cornerstone then it's a, a surprise not the other way around right so i think more so than ever this draft is the draft where the 14th guy draft in the lottery could be just as good as the number one pick and vice versa so this is this is what i was kind of joking about earlier where like I don't, this draft, I didn't care if we ended up with 10 or if we got number one, because in this draft could all be the same in the end. There's no, yeah, it's just so, but, uh, but I do like that Denny kid, man. Give me that Israeli we're butter gonna, every time. Man. We're going to be going to Denny's uh, 24 hours, a lot on this pod coming up, man. And oh my God. The commercial possibilities are tons of for grand slams. And dude, what I'm, what I'm basically saying is, is I'm sick and tired of the bulls drafting guys that like, hey, he was a winner in college. He's going to step in and play a role in an NBA team right away. Did I mention he's got a ceiling? He's going to come in, you know what I mean? Like, I want an all-star. I don't want a good basketball player. We have enough what we would consider moderately good basketball players on our team. we got a lot of guys that I could see in playoff rotations for years to come. We just don't have any all-stars. And we don't even have any borderline all-stars except for probably Zach Levine on the team right now we need to start reaching for the stars a little bit more and I'm with you at that number four pick you should be drafting an all-star that absolutely should be happening but just don't give me an above average player I'm, I'm just tired of that start taking some chances and try and find if you're picking at four I want you to think the guy that you're taking at four is the number one guy in the draft that's what I want Guys, I think this is going to do it. We hit, we hit some hoops super hard. This was round two preview. Some of round two is already underway, but other games about to start tonight. 
with my hoops honchos, Aaron Hagel and Mike Choi. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on the pod today, and we will talk soon, and we'll see if Chris Dunn uh, gets signed to a restricted free agent contract. Would that make you happy? Sure. He's good at defense. He's good at defense. He's a good player. Damn it. I did it again. We need need all-stars. This is Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Head to BetOnline.ag today and sign up because they're going to give you a free deposit after you sign up. So make sure you check it out. A lot of great games and action going on this weekend. And enjoy your holiday. Thank you for listening in. We're going to be coming back next week. It's going to be a heavy football week, ladies and gentlemen, because Bears football is back. So make sure you stick around and check that out. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. Be safe, be good, be kind to each other, and we will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.